two, uh, three verses of scripture. <clears throat> Philippians chapter one, verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. But one preach Christ of contention, that would be those that preach Christ even of envy and strife, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Amen. I'm set for the defense of the gospel. And I want to speak for a few moments this morning on set for the defense, set for the defense. Lord, we thank you today and worship you. I thank you for your presence that we feel in the house of God today. I want to be a recipient of whatever you have for us today. This is why we worship you. This is why we magnify you and exalt your name. We ask these things in your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated here this morning. Once again, it's good to see everybody in the house of God. Set for the defense, Paul is writing to the church of the Philippians, Philippi, and he gives to us one of the great passages of Scripture when he talks about setting himself in array for the defense of the gospel. Defense is a word that is apologia. It's the word from which we get apologetics, which is a defense of something. And it means a speech in defense or a vindication of something. If you delve deeper into the definition, it means to give an account of oneself. It's a legal plea, and so it has legal terminology. So to give account of oneself would be a defense of oneself, apologia. It would be standing and giving an account can also mean to exculpate or to free oneself from blame. Exculpate means I am giving a defense of something, whereas to remove myself from blame or accusation. And Paul uses this term in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 17. I'm going to give account of the gospel. I'm, going, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. I've bought into this thing. Uh, it's not something that I easily walk away from. Paul had a great testimony, and he was doing great work for God. It was not something that he acquiesced from, backed away from, walked away from, but it was something Paul was willing to give his life for. And he said, I'm set in declaring that defense of that gospel because my defense is connected to its value. Do you value the house of God today? But more importantly, do you value the truth of God and the gospel of God? Paul said, I am not going to. This is not something that I trade. It's not something that I barter. It's not something that I uh, that is that is secondary in my life, but it is priority in my life. I, I felt a, a touch in my spirit, a conviction in my spirit today when Brother Brock gave his word shot today, and he said something right in the midst of it, and I think it's very, very powerful. We should not live in this world only because, and come to church and do what we do, worship God, come here to receive strength, only because of the trouble that is in the world. 
That, that was a powerful statement, brother. I think you just kind of went on by that, but it's so very true. If all we do is, is live for God out of trouble, there's always going to be trouble, and we're never going to move the gospel forward if it's all about trying to get out of my troubles. But if there's something that anchors you, that's the gospel, that's going to keep you no matter what trouble comes, and it's going to give you a focus, and it's going to give you a destiny, it's going to give you a job in the kingdom of God that says, I'm not, a, I'm not here just to make it, but I'm here to make an impact in the world that is around me because I am commissioned to do a work of God. I'm commissioned to preach the gospel of God. I've got something to do. I'm about my father's business. I'm here on heavenly business. I'm not interested in the troubles of the world, but I am interested in God's amazing power and his impact on the lives of humanity. And he's still able to save. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and thank the Lord that he saved you, saved me, gave to us an opportunity to be involved in the kingdom of God. Praise God not here just because there's troubles in the world. I'm here because of a greater picture. God is able to do greater things in the midst of troubles. Amen. God has commissioned us. And so Paul is not going to walk away from the gospel. It is something that is bedrock and foundational to him. You are going to suffer shipwreck if you wander away from the position and the core of what God called you to be. Amen. Don't let the world distort, manipulate the facts of the scripture. Stay anchored in the fact that it doesn't matter. Fashions may come. There may be cultural differences that come. There may be upheaval politically, economically, financially, religiously. I'm, I'm anchored in something that is greater than all of those things. Praise God. I'm anchored in the gospel. And the gospel is what has me flat-footed when the storms come. And when the hurricanes come blasting through in life, I'm still standing because the anchor holds. Paul experienced all of these vicissitudes of life, the ups and the downs, the prison terms, everything. He, he, he experienced all of that. But he said, I'm, I'm set, I'm set, I'm going to stand in, I'm going to give an account. This word defense is used in other ways in the scripture differently in the King James Version, but it's still the same Greek word. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10 speaking about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and there's a big difference, and he spells that out to the church at Corinth. He says in verse number 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. Now watch this. This is what repentance is. This is not, this is not worldly sorrow. This is godly sorrow. What carefulness... It wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves. That's it right there. That is apologia. What clearing of yourselves is the defense. It's the same word. There was a clearing of yourselves after a godly sort. What carefulness, what indignation, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You wanted there to be a clear vindication. I may have failed, but I'm not staying in my failure. I'm going to take revenge against it because I recognize the trick of the enemy. I'm getting up, 
and I'm not walking in the same mess anymore. I'm going to clear myself of all of that wrongdoing. A clearing, same word, same word. A clearing in the matter. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 uses the same word in terms of our testimony. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer, to give a defense to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer to somebody that asks you of the hope that is in you. Why are you hopeful? Why do you have a hope that make it not ashamed? What's different about you? You got to step up and you got to make a defense when the question is asked. I'll tell you why I'm hopeful because God has done great things in my life. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I've got a testimony. There was a direction in my life that was a direction of failure but God turned things around he turned it around and so this is why I've got a smile on my face this is why I've got a song on my heart this is why I am happy about the goodness of God Amen. give an answer what carefulness what clearing give an answer defense clearly the value of the treasure that is found in the gospel is worth defending. Hey, if it's not valuable to you, you're not going to defend it. But if it's valuable to you, Paul said, I'm set for the defense of that. There's others that are going to preach other things, but I'm not going that direction. I'm going to stand in defense of the gospel. Because, why? Because it is valuable. And when something is valuable, you take pride in it. You appreciate it. You're excited about it. There's no room for saints of God that are walking according to the gospel that are depressed and stressed and downtrodden. And I'm just doing my best to make it through because of the gospel. No, I've got a joy and i got a strength because I recognize the value. It's a masterpiece. It's what saves it's what brings deliverance and redemption. Amen. So I, I lift it up. I value it. I'm excited about it. We're not going to have revival if there's no joy of the Holy Ghost that's unspeakable and full of glory in us. Praise God. I'm not just here struggling to make it. I want to do more than just make it. I want to see God take some territory in some areas that we have not gone before. Hallelujah. And so the value is connected to the defense. This is spelled out by Jesus in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and what? He selleth all that he hath, and he buys the field. <laughs> you need to put everything on the table with God. I value the gospel so much. Here it all is. It's all on the table. I'm willing to sell everything. I'm not going to withhold anything from you. I'm not bargaining anything from you because everything else is worldly. It's moth, rust, corrupt. It's going to age. It's going to do a lot of things. 
But the gospel never changes. It's still powerful. It still brings strength in every area of life and in every time in life. It is there. It's a value. And so I'm willing to make a commitment. I'm willing to walk across that line that says, I really appreciate everything that God has done. And I love the benefits and the blessings that come from God. But I'm just unsure about stepping across the line of commitment. I'm telling you, if we're going to be what we need to be in this world, it's going to take somebody that says, I don't just want the benefits and the blessings. I want to step over into the realm of commitment because that's where the true value is. Praise God. He said again here, he said again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. The value of the message. Amen. There's a value there. There's a connection there. First Peter chapter four and verse number 17 reveals to us the necessity. And in some of these verses, um, the fearfulness of being on the wrong side of the judgment of God. First Peter chapter four and verse 17 for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Let me just, that, that phrase right there is so very powerful. If you got a problem in your world, let judgment begin at the house of God and get it over with. And it, if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? So it begins here with the recognition that I need to obey the gospel. And if it doesn't begin with us and work in us, then the the parallel is what of those that do not obey the gospel of God? He leaves that hanging out there, but it, it stands out there. That question stands out there in a fearful understanding and recognition of someone who is not obeying the gospel. What, what will the end of those be that do not obey? Second Thessalonians, he gets even more pointed in the church to Thessalonica. Chapter 1 and verse number 7, he said, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It's even more pointed. It's even more poignant in this passage of scripture in which he reveals uh, and makes a distinction between those who have stepped out and committed and recognized the need for salvation versus those who do not feel there is any need for salvation. This is, this is one in, in, a, in our religious culture nowadays. This is one of the major fissures that is occurring that I personally believe is why people are not coming to God but are leaving is because nobody's standing in a pulpit and saying why they need to be saved. <laughs> Salvation is not the primary message that's coming over pulpits anymore. And so people don't feel the need to be saved because they don't feel unsaved and nobody said anything about being saved. And so it becomes inspirational and motivational 
and it feels good because I walk away feeling like, okay, I can tackle whatever, but the core crux of the matter in all of the scripture, and this is what is amazing, how do we get away from what the core theme of the scripture is, which is God is a God that is seeking to save that which was lost. He's not coming to inspire, although he may inspire. He's not coming to motivate, although he may motivate. He's coming to save. That's what the gospel is. But if nobody's preaching, you need to be saved. You don't think there's a need for salvation. And then what happens is you start going through life and you start looking around and you start wondering, what's the value to church? What's the value of making a commitment? Because I'm acting the way everybody else is acting and there's really nothing to this. And so Paul makes a clear distinction. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3, he said, if our... If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, as long as I'm pastor standing at this sacred desk, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to dress it up to look like something else. It's the gospel. <laughs> I'm not going to try to put an entertainment face on it so people are entertained. I'll tell you what, the value of the gospel is to know that Jesus Christ still is reaching for some just like you. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are cleansed. God has done great things in your life. And that still has to be the message that is preached. Hallelujah. Anybody believe in this place tonight that there are people just like you that God's reaching? Amen. If, if you do, let's agree together right now. God, wherever they are, let me cross paths with them. Let there be a drawing in the house of God so that they can be reached by the gospel because it's value and it's a treasure. Amen. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God. The only image of God that you're ever going to see is Jesus Christ because he's the only personage that can be seen. You cannot see God. God is a spirit. The only image of God is Jesus Christ. And lest that glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them lost. Don't hide the gospel. I said don't hide the gospel. Praise God. Testify about it. Amen. Don't be ashamed of it. It's a value. It's a great, it's a great treasure. It's a, yeah, I've sold everything for it. I've given my whole life. My family's connected to it. This is do so why would I ever subject subjugate myself to suppressing what God has done instead of elevating what God has done amen in the house of God today we are here to elevate what God has done much hangs on on believing the gospel for salvation and and what is the gospel because this is a, a great um, question that can be asked 
as we make our way through this lesson, this is a great question, this is a great point that is worthy of consideration. What is the gospel? And where do you take someone to explain the gospel? Many times people want to take them uh, right to the book of Acts, but I think Paul does a great job of encapsulating what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. And he does it in a few verses. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, lo and behold, what does he declare? The gospel. Imagine that. Paul is he's presenting the gospel, which I preached unto you, which you received and wherein you stand in that gospel, by which you are also what? By which you are also saved. The gospel saves. And I preached it to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm declaring it to you. And then he says, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Here we go. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. The gospel is the joyous good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the good news. It's the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he lays it out so perfectly here. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And so this is for Paul, this is the action. This is the description of the gospel. And that is his definition of what it is and that there is a a connection with believing in that gospel and an action that comes into place of receiving that gospel. In other words, God intends for us to do something in terms of the gospel when presented to us. There, there, is, there is no way that you can, uh, on your own, somehow by osmosis, do nothing and receive the gospel. It is an active participation in what Jesus Christ himself did. And he exemplifies that, and then it's preached so that the people in the early church preached it and received it. They became identified with the action of what Jesus Christ himself had done. And this is called a new birth experience. This was a question that Nicodemus had for Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse number 1. He was kind of unsettled about things, and so he approaches Jesus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He approaches Jesus at night, and he asks him, well, first of all, he starts with a statement before he asks a question. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There has to be a birth process because the spirit is severed and has been severed. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve made a decision and a choice that severed that spiritual relationship all through the Old Testament, all the animal sacrifices and all the legal system and all the law was an attempt to try to bridge the gap. But the law could not do what Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of the law came to do because he was the ultimate sacrifice. And so in order for me to get out of unregenerate carnality and into spiritual renewing and regeneration, there has to be a new birth in my life.
a new birth experience. I've got to be birthed again. He's not talking about a physical birth. Nicodemus thinks that's what it is because he says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? The irony of that, that's an impossibility. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. I'm not talking about a physical birth, uh, Nicodemus. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is a spiritual birth that takes place. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth. Thou hears the sound thereof, but you can't tell from where it's coming and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. So Jesus in his ministry up front reveals that there is a spiritual birth that takes place. And the good news of the gospel that Paul is talking about when he lays it out is that Jesus did something and calls us in action to follow and identify with him in the same areas that he himself revealed. So Jesus died for our sins, says Paul. That is a death that's a death. Repentance is a death. And so repentance is part of a new birth experience that identifies with the action of Jesus. Jesus died. It was an ugly death. It was not pretty. When he was in the garden praying, he was praying and, and he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood coming out of his body because it was a struggle. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died. Repentance is a death. Repentance is saying to the old man, the old carnal nature, when there's a recognition that I have a car carnal nature and I am a sinner, then how do I get away from that, that, that pressure and that burden that is on me? There has to be a death. That's what repentance is. It's an identifying with Jesus' death. It's not. It's not going to look good on television, I'll tell you that right now. That's not going to look good on television when somebody's pouring out their heart to God and they're repenting for every evil sin that they've ever done in their life with the expectation that this is the very dysfunction that will destroy me and kill me. That's not going to look good. Why? It's a death. And the church and preaching shouldn't try to pretty it up. Shouldn't try to pretty it up and <laughs> let the mascara flow. Let the tears flow. Let the, the beautiful thing that happens at repentance when that great burden and that pressure is lifted off of you and you realize I am getting all of this out and I'm giving it all to God and God takes that pressure and that burden off of an individual. That is something that is powerful. It's powerful. That's the identification in his death. He was buried, says Paul said, this is the gospel I'm giving to you. Jesus died. We identify with his death in repentance. He said, and then he was buried. We're identified in his burial through baptism. And he arose the third day. He was resurrected. There's Holy Ghost power that is coming. And so these things linked together is Paul declaring the gospel. 
and the scriptures work in cohort to solidify this experience. This new birth is reiterated in the epistles. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Death. Therefore we are what? Buried. We are buried. When you repent of your sins, some of the scripture says mortify the deeds of the body, which means to destroy the deeds of body. There's a repentance. There's a recognition. And then this passage of scripture says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is one of the core verses for why we do not sprinkle in baptism. You cannot, you cannot, does anybody sprinkle and bury somebody? We're just going to throw a little dirt on you and hope that suffices. When you're buried, you are buried. You are submerged under the ground. And so we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So Paul is reiterating the same gospel message that he has spelled out specifically in Corinthians about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he comes at it again to the Romans. There's an element of obeying the gospel. Many times we will point out Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37 because there is an obeying to what is being stated when Peter is preaching and everybody's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. These people have poured out of an upper room. They were in an upper room, by the way, just so that you know, because Jesus told them to go to an upper room. And he said, go there and you will be endued with power from on high. In a few days, not many days hence, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. And so they went there in Jerusalem, and they were waiting for the promise. And so it spills out into the streets when the Holy Ghost falls, and people are looking around, and Peter stands up, and he recognizes their consternation. And he says to them in verse number 37, Acts chapter 2, he starts preaching a message of Jesus and what he came to do and what happened, and you crucified him. And it brought them to a place of significance, very significance. Peter did, if you read his message in chapter 2, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. As a matter of fact, he said, you crucified him, and the one you crucified is a risen Savior. And so he, he preached very poignantly and straight to them. And in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Meaning, how do we, how do we connect with the gospel that you're talking about? How do we obey the gospel? And Peter said unto them, repent. Why would he say that? Because it is the form of the New Testament salvation, new birth experience that Paul said this is what the gospel is. And he reiterated it twice that Jesus talked about in terms of the new birth experience. And Peter says here, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save, save. 
Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That message right there is still the same message in this generation. It's still an untoward generation. There's still a need for salvation. And how do I get salvation? I get salvation through the power of an experience that is given in this passage of Scripture. I want to re repent of my sins and clear the record. I want to be buried in Jesus' name and identify with his death in his name. And I want to come up with newness of life, resurrecting power that comes through the Holy Ghost that is on the inside of of me. I need his spirit. I need his presence. I need his strength. I need his name covering and over my life and identified with my life. I need all of those things to be saved. Praise God. Let the scripture speak here this morning for just a few moments. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. And that this is Jesus speaking. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, where was Peter when he got up and he, he preached just what I mentioned? It was in Jerusalem. Jesus told them that this, these were his directives. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but what? He now commands all men everywhere to repent, all people. He commands all people to repent. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. And he said unto them, this is Jesus, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There has to be a belief and understanding the gospel, his, his death, burial, and resurrection. You have to believe in that, and the belief in that pulls you into an action of identifying with Jesus Christ and what he himself has done. This is what the good news is. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is called out of a great revival to meet with an Ethiopian eunuch that is studying. And when they came unto a certain water, Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, the eunuch said, Believest? Uh, the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Notice the immediacy there. Baptism should have an immediacy. You should study it and understand it and, and, and desire a revelation for it, but once you get an understanding of it, it's not a tradition that three months from now we have a great day of baptism. The Ethiopian eunuch said, there's water right there. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I need to be baptized right now. I don't need to wait three months for a special day. I need it done now. Ananias uh, told Paul, he said, and now why tarriest thou? See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, do you believe with all your heart? You may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down, down, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision 
which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they prayed him to tarry for certain days. Praise God. Baptism is, is an identification with Jesus' death. It is now, ladies and gentlemen, I do not mean to be offensive here today. It is not. Baptism is not a tradition of the church. Uh, not, not in an apostolic understanding and theology. Baptism is not a tradition. Baptism is essential to salvation. Peter did not say, now, you know, this, this is just an option. It's, it's, it's not something that you really need, but it's, he commanded them. He said, these Gentiles, they've received the Holy. How do you know they had the Holy Ghost? Well, because they were speaking in tongues. He said, the Gentiles have received the Holy Ghost. And he said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Why? Because it's part of the gospel. It is identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so he makes that very, very emphatic and very, very clear. I was attending a seminary, having a discussion, and a gal, very nice gal, had a great discussion about baptism and, and, and got to the point where she said, well, I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't see that it's necessary. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it's very, very difficult to maintain that position when you just read the verses that I've just read. It's tough. It's really tough. Because the, script, the, the word speaks for itself. And she said, I just don't think that this is what she, her fallback position, because you can't, you can't wiggle out of it. I mean, you can try, well, that was for then, it's not for today. You, 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 it's, it's, I've already received the Holy Ghost. <laughs> You've come too late to tell me. I've already experienced repentance. I've already been baptized in Jesus' name. I felt that load come off of me. I've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not just for the first century, but not for this century. It's for everybody. So she fell back on this position. I just don't think God would do something like that to somebody. Well, that's a discussion you're going to have to have with God. But I'm not going that direction because i got to stay connected to the word. Because if I go the direction you're going, then whatever the word's saying, you can manipulate and do whatever you want to do with it. And then pretty soon, blessed be nothing, as the elder used to say. Right? I can't go that direction. And so one of the places that I took her before she came to that conclusion was Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. If it's not important, then why would Paul, when he comes to Corinth, He passed through the upper coast and he comes to Ephesus and he finds certain disciples and he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, under what then were you baptized? <laughs> if baptism doesn't matter, why are you asking, Paul? And they said, unto John's baptism. And Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. 
when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Why would he do something like that? Because Paul recognized there needed to be a continuation of, now this is extremely important, of what they already knew. Don't denigrate somebody for what they do know. They were John's disciples. They were baptized unto John. They were following John's message. They just didn't know about Jesus somehow. And so Paul didn't blast them about what they did or didn't know or they, their uh, fuzzy theology or any of that. He, he didn't do any of that. He just said, that's John's baptism. There's a greater, there's a greater fulfillment of what you know. And the Holy Ghost moved in a powerful way in that event. The gospel is identifying with his death. The gospel is identifying with his burial. And the gospel is identifying with his resurrection. We would be of all men and women most miserable if we were in this place and we didn't believe that there was power in the spirit of God that resides within us. Can you imagine that? I'm here. I'm here. Praise God. We're going to have a great time. We're going to worship God, but there's no power. There's good fellowship and, and there's good social gatherings, but there's no power. Jesus didn't come for us just to fellowship. He came to give us a power. He came to put a spirit within us that empowers us, that conquers death, hell, and here it is, the grave. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Why? Because Jesus Christ walked into the realms of death, hell, and the grave and said, you can put me in here, but I'm coming out of here because there is power. That same power is the same power that he pours out to you that one day you'll die, but you're not going to stay there. Because there's a resurrecting power, amen, that's going to resurrect you out of a tomb somewhere. Praise God. There is resurrection power. John chapter 7 and verse 37. Brother McAllister, come and help me out. In the last day, that grace day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then the writer tells us what he's talking about. But this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm here with you right now. So I'm the spirit that you need. But I'm going to be glorified. And when I'm glorified, I won't be here in physical form with you, bodily manifestation with you. But I'm going to pour out my spirit and it's going to come in you and it's going to be in you, the earnest of your inheritance. That's where the money is. That's where your power is going to come from. That's where your ability is going to come from. The empowerment of the Holy Ghost is going to flow out of you. The well... I used to really think great of my basketball skills. As I'm getting older, I've, um, as I'm getting older, I've, I was better. Is that right? The older I get, the better I was. There you go. The older I get, the better I was. And so, you know, trash talking on the court used to always say, the well will never run dry. Well, 
Last few times I've played, it seems like it's starting to, I don't know, starting to run dry just a little bit. Hey, but the Holy Ghost in your life will never run dry. Praise God. If you're constantly going to the well, you, now you got to draw. You, got, you can't just stand there and say, well, where's the water? you got to take the bucket and you gotta, you've got to do something to manifest that you want the Spirit. you got to start drawing it. I'm telling you, when you start drawing it, there is always water there. Jesus said it's going to be like a well of water. Let's all stand together. It's going to be like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John chapter 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth it. But you know him. Why? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me because I live. You shall live also. Jesus was saying, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to you. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. There was an apostolic Pentecostal explosion on the day of Pentecost in an upper room that poured out in Jerusalem, and it's still being poured out today. It's still working today. I want to stand in defense of that gospel. I want to stand in. I want to stand in. Praise God. There's a great benefit of repenting for your sins. There's a great benefit of being baptized in a name that is above every name. Why would you not be baptized in that name? It's the only saving name. Peter said neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be Isaiah prophesied and said in Isaiah 28 11 but with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest this is the refreshing yet they would not hear I want to open my ears in here today. Praise God. There is a refreshing. There's a rest. Paul said, I'm standing in defense of that gospel. I'm standing, I'm standing in. I'm going to stand in. I'm going to stand in because my sins were nailed to the cross. Amen. I'm going to stand in and stand for because iniquity was buried underneath the flow of Calvary from a lamb without blemish. Standing in because there is power coming down and into the life of a called out one. I'm standing in because there is resurrection power that the grave cannot stifle. And I'm standing in because there is a rest when one is weary of turmoil. I'm standing in because of God's power and his anointing that brings a refreshing to me. In the house of God, there is a refreshing. If you lift your hands and you lift your voice, you can feel it. Praise God. You can feel it. It's the same spirit that was in Jesus. Hallelujah. The same power and the same authority, the same comfort, the same rest, the same wells of water springing up into everlasting life. Praise God. I want us to step out of the pew where we are today. I want us to walk into the well today. I want us to lift our hands and say, God, I came this morning to receive a refreshing, a refreshing, the gospel power and ability that 
brings a refreshing to my spirit and my soul. Praise God. Before I leave this place and before I leave this house, Lord, I want to feel your anointing. Hallelujah. I want to feel the refreshing of the Holy Ghost. I'm standing in the fence of the gospel. I'm going to talk about Hallelujah. I'm going to worship about Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 